There's never a dull moment when it comes to Minnesota sports, whether it's on the gridiron. For the end zone, it's Jefferson who's got the touchdown. On the court. Edwards thinking three and popping a three. On the ice. It's Caprice over the open net. Or on the diamond. Buxton hammers that to left field. Another Minnesota home run. Whether it's positive. I think this is a good enough roster to make the playoffs. Or negative. He's terrible. Awful. Don't get it. Don't understand it. Whether there's optimism. Hey, they might be able to even make it to a conference final. Or pessimism. Don't expect me to be super excited. I mean, I don't know. Does this really do much for anybody? There's always something to chat about. Shout out to Minnesota Sports Chat. Keep on being elite. If you're looking for fun, informative, discussion on all things Minnesota sports, you've come to the right place. This is Minnesota Sports Chat, and now, here's your host, Ross Brendel. You know, I really do think I'm a lot nicer of a person than I think a good chunk of that open portrays, but... You know, the local teams in the great state of Minnesota can certainly uh, frustrate you. And, um, well, it's another frustrating record of Minnesota Sports Chat. Welcome inside edition number 150. We've made it to 150 editions of the soon-to-be award-winning Minnesota Sports Chat. Award-winning, if only in my own mind. Please rate and review on Apple and Spotify. And if you're listening via the Score North Taxi Squad feed, I encourage you to find Minnesota Sports Chat wherever it is that you get your podcasts and subscribe that way. We're going to talk Minnesota Vikings playoff exit, coaches exiting the Gopher football staff, and a little Big Ten basketball, Golden Gopher basketball as well. The guest de jour today, returning, repeating, undisputed number one in appearances, I believe, that's unofficial, from gophersguru.com and Vikings Corner at NFL, excuse me, at Daniel House NFL on the Twitter machine. Welcome back, Daniel. Ross, lots to talk about. Lot, lots going on here, fresh off the uh, the Vikings playoff game, go for coaching staff, Ben Johnson and the boys with a big win. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Well, we'll start here on edition number 150, courtesy of our friends at Fox Sports. Barkley muscling forward. Barkley, what an effort, and he is in. Touchdown, New York. That touchdown gave the Giants a late lead of a score of 31 to 24. Vikings with the ball, and this is how it ends. Fourth and eight, game on the line. Cousins, Hawkinson, he is not going to get there, and the Giants will take over. A few kneel downs later, the Minnesota Vikings' very special season comes to an end at 13 and 5, including that playoff loss. A wild card round to the Giants, who now move on to take on the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round of the playoffs. Daniel, there is so much we can talk about with the Vikings. I mean, literally, we can still talk about the wild ride of the season. We can talk about what's to come in the offseason. But we'll start with the game that was played this past weekend between the Vikings and Giants. I think... Logical minds, Daniel House knew this was going to come to an end 
without a Super Bowl victory. I think we all kind of knew that. I was hopeful the Vikings could string a few wins together. I I kind of thought they would, but the caveat was I was not going to be surprised if they lost right away to the Giants. And, and that's what happened. And the issues that did cause the Vikings great anxiety, not only in their losses, but in a good chunk of their wins, all those issues, for the most part, reared their ugly head, specifically on the defense. And whether because of talent or scheme, just really not being able to cover anybody or put up really any sort of a fight defensively all day long against a Giants receiving core that all week long we heard from a lot of folks and even going back three, four weeks when the Vikings played the Giants. Apparently the receiving core is not very good, but you wouldn't know that when they play the Vikings defense. Yeah, and I thought a lot of the themes that people were worried about showed up on the field in the game and and it comes back to the defense all year long coverage busts in the secondary communication issues I thought Brian Dable had a great scheme stretching the Vikings defense out you know they early in the game faking that swing pass which stretched the defense out creating space in the passing game they just had so much room to work and it exploited something that I felt like would be an issue with the Vikings defense this year, just overall team speed, especially in the second level. When you're running all of that zone, you got to have linebackers that can drop underneath and be very rangy and make plays in space. And and I thought that that was the whole game plan for the Giants was definitely to get like Saquon Barkley out one-on-one on, on defenders, uh, using misdirection, messing with the eye discipline, had some very creative uh, run game wrinkles that sort of mess with that using some design quarterback runs, some power stuff, uh, pullers. It just totally altered the Vikings overall defensive discipline, but it comes back to that theme. You got to get faster on defense. That's the top priority for me. I think on both sides of the ball, Ross, just getting more speed, got to get faster. And I know Quasey with his mindset on how he builds teams, that's definitely where he wants to get to as well as just being faster to fit this defensive scheme there are a lot of things a lot of people you know i I think there's some things that they can do differently schematically some of the schematic stuff certainly didn't line up with the personnel that they had but also vice versa the personnel wasn't able to really fit with the scheme so now you got to figure out this offseason what are you going to do what approach are you going to take moving forward to figure this thing out Got to get better with personnel, but also got to figure out what this scheme's going to look like long-term, what direction you want to head. So on the scheme, full disclosure, we're recording this on Monday morning, shortly after 9 a.m. By the time a good chunk of you uh, listen to this podcast, uh, there's a chance that the news one way or another will have broke about the future of Ed Donatel with the Minnesota Vikings. So I don't really want to speculate on that house and spend so much time on the scheme because I think at least at the time of this record, we just don't know what that's going to look like. But I do want to focus on what you talked about when it comes to personnel. I don't really think it matters who the defensive coordinator is, and I now think we have two good years of data to show that. Back-to-back years with two different guys at the helm for the defense and just atrociously in-app defense. This year, I think slightly worse than last year, especially in the passing game. I don't want to give out a free pass, but you can really only coach what you have. And I said going into this season, one of the biggest problems that the Minnesota Vikings defense and team as a whole would face is outside of Justin Jefferson, and I think you can include Dalvin Cook in this next category of players, 
their best players are older. Their best days, for the most part, are behind them. Look at the players on defense that you would say are the best players. Daniil Hunter, more than likely back half of career. Eric Kendricks, definitely back half of career. Zadarius Smith, probably in the middle, treading to- trending towards back half of the career. Harrison Smith, back half of the career, probably only a few seasons left. Patrick Peterson, back half of the career. Not every game, Daniel House, but a lot of games that would show up and that would rear its ugly head where they just are. They can have all the ability in the world, but they're not the athletes they once were when they came into the league or the first couple years into the league. And and I'll I'll give myself a shameless plug. I, I tweeted this out yesterday and I really I really agree with it. And I want you to comment not only on this player, but on the defense in general and the older players and just how you go ahead and replace largely half your defense in an offseason. I'm not sure that that's possible. But at Brendel Ross on the Twitter machine, I believe this to be true. Hot but correct take. Unless Sedarius Smith dominates a game, he largely goes unnoticed and looks old. He went fairly unnoticed and looked old yesterday, and this is an easy thing to complain about, but I'm going to. Z, if you think the player false started... Wait until the play is obviously over before you look over to the officials and start complaining. That just, to me, set a bad tone from the get-go yesterday. Uh, Was there a false start in the left tackle? I don't know. looked like a false start to me, but a referee guy in the booth said I'd probably give him the benefit of the doubt and say that it's not a false start. Uh, Just the, the main problem to me all year long was it started up front. How do you cover up a bad secondary, Daniel House? You get pressure. Well, this team just couldn't get pressure with four guys. There were games where Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith were really good, but go back and look at Zadarius Smith's game logs. Most of his sacks, if you break up his sacks, they all came in bunches in the same games. That can't happen. Yep. you got to have consistent pressure. With the secondary the Vikings had this year, you have to have consistent pressure, whether it's with your front four or by design. They couldn't get pressure for the most part with their front four, and they didn't love to blitz. Right, and blitzing is is part of that goes into the cornerbacks that you have. you got to feel comfortable when you're sending pressure. Are you going to be able to cover downfield? And Minnesota couldn't do that. They were unable to consistently rush with with four guys, like you mentioned. Uh, it, it it comes down to you know putting all the pieces together, having the personnel and the scheme match perfectly. And all year there was a disconnect there. Whether some games maybe it was scheme related, where you could have done some things differently, timed some things up, or it's it's personnel. I've said it a lot when you're making this type of big defensive switch, like the Vikings are going from a four three that you've run since like 1986. <laughs> to a, a, a three, four defensive scheme, there's going to be some things and that, that growing pains there in terms of learning, you know, the, the coverage techniques in the back end, there's a lot more to that than people think uh, the personnel that you have to add to make that defense work. Like I said, getting faster because you already have an older roster, a lot of money tied up into older players. I would say that I think Zedaria Smith, wasn't healthy for the second half of the season, which I think, you know, you watched him play for the first half of the season and you went, man, phenomenal signing, impacting games, altering the quarterback. 
then once he once an injury occurred it seemed like he, he fell off the wagon and that was kind of the concern coming in like how many games are you going to get 100 percent Zadarius Smith or you know even 80 85 percent Zadarius Smith and it felt like there was definitely uh, something going on there but I don't know. Maybe Ed Donatel retires. I, I I would not be surprised if there's a scenario where Ed Donatel just walks away, and then it, it comes down to what's Kev going to do with the defense. I I think a sneaky name to keep an eye on is Jim Leonard. Previous ties to Mike Patton on staff. Uh, I I would I would keep an eye on that. Well, I know there had been rumors with him around the Cleveland Browns and other NFL teams. So, no, I don't think that would surprise me. Uh, Aging also affects, uh, we have learned, the offensive side of the ball, too. Interesting decision coming up with Adam Thielen. Uh, This regime maybe not necessarily tied to him like previous regimes. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. He can obviously still get it done. He's a catching machine. But if you're looking to get faster and have more of that Tyreek Hill type of burner on the outside, I think that probably means that Adam Thielen's the odd man out because it's not going to be K.J. Osborne at this point based off of what he can do and what he makes. Although I think he probably should have caught that ball on third down yesterday before the fourth down fiasco, which we'll get to. But interesting decision coming up with Adam Thielen. I think there'll be work done around T.J. Hawkinson and a potential contract extension. So a lot to be done on the offensive side of the ball, too. And we haven't even addressed the quarterback. I mean, I think we'd like to know. I think we'd like to think we know what they think about Kirk Cousins. But it's only been one season, so we we don't really know. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. My hunch is they'll work with him on some sort of contract extension that maybe gives him more money over the long haul, but gives them more cap flexibility. But that's just a purely, purely a guess at this point. Yeah, I, I, I would let this deal play out the way it is. I would. Oh, that's one hundred percent what I would do. I just don't know if that's what they're going to do. I wouldn't have given I, him I, the last extension. I think that you know, you look at what some of these teams have done. You know, you know, you look at Denver and, and Russell Wilson, and there's definitely going to be some worry from GMs about holding on to quarterbacks maybe a little bit too long. So I I would be surprised if the Vikings went contract extension route. I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say let this thing play out. But like you said, you just you don't know what the 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 plan is. You know, from a salary cap perspective, I think you can figure things out just by getting rid of some bets. You know, you mentioned Thielen. What are they going to do with uh, Zadarius Smith? Do they bring him back? Uh, maybe you can get him to take a, a discount deal. Harrison Smith. 34 years old, you can save a ton of cap space by releasing him. You got Eric Kendricks. Are you able to, you know, upgrade the linebacker position there? Jordan Hicks. I mean, those are some names that are coming to mind right there. And and you're able to maybe get Alexander Madison back on a, on a good contract as well, because I was kind of looking at the running back market. I feel like that market could be a little oversaturated this year. So maybe you're able to get him back on an affordable contract as well. But that room, I mean, you got Ty Chandler, Kane Wongwu, uh, you know, definitely some intriguing young pieces there. You could kind of see maybe Quasi thinking about planning ahead at that position group as well. So you mentioned Thielen as well. I, all year long, I thought the Vikings needed somebody with some speed, short to intermediate ability, can stretch vertically occasionally, just put stress on the defense with some speed because – 
You know, you watch how teams are defending the Vikings right now, doubling Justin Jefferson, opened up a lot of opportunities for TJ Hawkinson, which was a good move by the Vikings. They absolutely needed to get somebody in there that could, you know, get take advantage of some of those opportunities based on how teams are defending Justin Jefferson. But you look at KJ and Thielen, they absolutely need to get another receiver in there that can put some stress on defenses. That was a, something that I felt like they needed all year, and it would open up another component. I don't even think we saw the full scope of the offense just because they needed another player there. You saw it like they, they made that trade for Jalen Rager late. I know it kind of helped the punt return area, but trying to get some speed on this roster, that's the that's the one word I'm going to use and, and everything that I'm going to be watching all offseason is looking at the speed profiles of draft players because that's going to be the top priority. Well, what did our boy John Madden used to always say in those Madden video games? Speed kills. And it look, is, and it look, is so important. Look at the best teams right now. Perceived best teams, obviously. We'll see what happens here the rest of the playoffs. But when you look at the Eagles, the Niners, and you look at the Bengals and you look at Buffalo and you look at Kansas city and even Miami prior to uh, Tua going down for the, the second or third time. However you want to measure that great team speed all across the board. Okay. A couple quick hitters for you. Then I want to circle back to Kirk cousins. Then we'll move on to other topics. I take these in any order. Would you with the caveat I'll note, I would, would you find a way to move on from Dalvin cook and his money? I would, and then is mm-hmm. Harrison Smith uh NFL Hall of Famer? I believe he is. No, if he if he wraps it up today or plays a few more years for the Vikings or in another uniform, is Harrison Smith a Hall of Famer? Absolutely, Harrison Smith's a Hall of Famer. I'd look at the impact of his career, how many plays he made on the ball, his versatility, uh just everything that he does to make the defense tick back their adjustments. Uh, you know, yesterday I saw him, you know, bait Daniel Jones into uh, you know, uh, uh, incompletion during the game. And I'm like, man, that's all Harrison Smith. Like when you go to football games, you just zone in on Harrison Smith and you go, let's watch what this guy does. All the adjustments, all the checks, all the cat and mouse game with the disguises. And uh, I just enjoyed watching him play. So we'll see what the Vikings do, you know, with him. I think he, of all the vets that could potentially be cap casualties, he would be the one I think maybe could come back. But like you said, I would I would say Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen, those are two players that you're looking at potentially letting go of to free up cap space. And then, you know, Eric Kendricks, are you able to maybe trade Eric Kendricks? Like at this point, when you look at what the Vikings have available, they got five draft picks available right now for the 2023 draft. I'm looking at ways if you could potentially trade some of these guys even to get, you know, some picks back, even if they're not like super high picks, but like just to get some capital so that you can add some more talent to your roster through the draft. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this whole thing gets navigated this offseason because people forget that Quasey came in late last year. I mean, he's coming in trying to figure out coaching staff, trying to get his bearings and then, you know, working with all the previous people to, you know, draft that draft class last season. And still, I think there's some upside in this draft class as well. I mean, Lewis seen fractures his ankle. Booth was hurt. See if they can potentially get something out of him. Ed Ingram playing all the snaps he did in year one. Does he take a step forward? Awesome Moa, who I think has a ton of upside, could be an impact player for them next year. Actually, he was one of my favorite players in this class. 
Uh, Caleb Evans, who, you know, had the concussion problem to show flashes when he was out on the field. I think they found something there. A Sezi, another high upside player who uh, Kevin O'Connell has noted several times. Ty Chandler, Jalen Naylor, both. We saw Ty Chandler during the preseason, Jalen Naylor flashing at the end of the season. So I, I, I see a lot of people saying, oh, the, you know, the draft class, the Vikings, you know, the, the, this draft wasn't great. Well, I think you got to be patient here. There's some upside in this class. And let's see what Quasey does this offseason with a full offseason with his personnel. Things kind of settled down. And, and can really retool the roster in a lot of different areas. Yeah, and, and again, I do believe largely with what you just said there. Draft classes, you really have to wait two, three, I guess maybe even four years to really evaluate them. However, I know I said this with you, I think, uh, the last time you were on the pod with me a few weeks back. The plan was not for most of these guys to come in and give you very little playing time. And I know you can't. But- necessarily foresee injury but you know to a degree it's it still counts and it's still on you i mean go back and look at the 2019 draft class gear bradbury in round one who i don't think he'll bring back this next season uh you got irv smith who will be gone madison was the third round pick then it's drusamia camp smith (laughs) armon watts marcus apps who's carved out a nice career in philly ole udo sixth round pick LP yesterday, but other than that, man, I'm telling you, that draft class was one of the reasons why the Vikings are in the position they're in right now. They just weren't able to, you know, you got to string together some draft classes. I'm not saying you're not going to hit on every guy, but you got to find some impact players in each of those classes that can kind of extend out. And then, you know, you're able to draft, develop, retain, or let those guys go and continue to build it up. So, that that's the issue, man. You got to be able to string together some good draft classes. Bradbury not coming back, I think, would be interesting because largely he hasn't lived up to the bill of being a first round pick. Uh, but he was better this year. But he may have just been better because maybe when healthy, some of the talent around him was better. It'll be interesting though to see if he's not back. Who is in that spot? Because it's not just as easy as oh, go name your center and you have them. Could that be John a, Michael Schmitz. I was just going to say, could that be a spot for John Jacob, Jingleheimer, Michael Schmitz? I'm telling you, I, I have an eval on John Michael Schmitz because I've watched literally every snap of this guy all the way up from high school to, to where he is now. And I, I, you know, you could look at trading back potentially. I mean, it's so early to know where, you know, players are going to project. We'll have some more clarity on that as the draft process plays out. But I, I, I would not be opposed to John Michael Schmitz at all. I think he's a perfect fit for what they're trying to do uh, in the Vikings blocking scheme. And you got to figure out that center position and tier O-line. Like, I mean, the the last play of the game, look at uh, Dexter Lawrence just absolutely destroying Ezra Cleveland. I mean, it's like the interior of this O-line, they're fine at tackle. They'll be okay there. I mean, you got to look at that storyline of partially torn Achilles for Brian O'Neill now. I mean, you got that going on. Uh, Christian Darius rock solid at left tackle, but like Ole Udo might have to stay here and, and be temporary right tackle until Brian O'Neill's ready to go. So, I mean, they got some decisions to figure out on the O-line. Interior O-line is where interior O-line, retooling the defense, figuring out schematic personnel, getting faster at a lot of positions, adding another receiver, and then, you know, you're figuring out what's your plan for quarterback long-term. 
I mean, what is your plan for, you know, when you're done with Kirk Cousins, what are you going to do? How does Kwesi start thinking about that position and what move does he make on Kirk Cousins? Those are the storylines that I'm watching. we got a lot of time to do it. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that I, I did a seven-round mock already. I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, first off, NFL teams, if you're looking for information on John Jacob, Jingleheimer, Michael Schmitz, reach out to at Daniel House NFL on the Twitter machine and gophersguru.com. You mentioned the quarterback there. Let's finish on Vikings talk with the quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Uh, he is not the main reason that the Minnesota Vikings lost yesterday. I don't even really think he's very high on the list. However, he is one of the reasons they lost yesterday, specifically pointing out on fourth and eight where logic tells you you have to get at least 8.000001 yards to maybe pick up the first down. And albeit with a little bit of pressure, you throw it for three yards. Uh, To me, that is a part of what always just gets in the way with Kirk Cousins, the quarterback. You have to know that even if you're about to get murdered and there's somebody coming, who cares if you throw an interception? That ball has to go eight, nine yards downfield. It just has to. And I know the scheme of the play had two guys short of the sticks, which is another problem. Don't give Kirk Cousins the check down option. He will always revert back to the check down. But that ball just has to go eight plus yards. It just, it has to. There's really no excuse for it. You can tell me he had four guys right in his face, which he didn't. I'm just saying you could tell me that he did. And he still has to be smart enough to go, okay, well, I know this receiver's running this route. I'm going to throw it in this general direction. You just have to give your team a chance to pick up the first down there. And, yeah, and, and they didn't. And it comes back to what you know I said earlier with the interior line. Like they were not able to generate enough movement in the ground game this year. They they did not run the ball well enough to complement the passing attack. And then got to get another you know dynamic receiver, like I said. And you know Kirk, Kirk's one of those quarterbacks. Like we said, you know, not going to be a guy that's going to you know escape and buy time and and give you that mobility that some of these younger dynamic quarterbacks are going to give you. So you got to be able to have a rock solid O-line. I mean, Kirk's showing this year, even, I mean, he's, he's done a good job when pressure's barreling down and he's got to get the ball. Like there was a lot of opportunities where that was the case. I just, I won't, if, if the Vikings want to, you know, continue with Kirk Cousins and and do what they're doing there, they got to figure out the interior O-line. That's, that's the top, priority moving forward is is figuring out how you're going to become more consistent there so often we talk about complementary football well there's also uh complementary breakfast and you can put that in a couple different ways you could say oh i went to this hotel and they had a complimentary breakfast or i'll put it to you this way you can get up you can have your oatmeal you can have your cereal you can have your toast you can have your bacon and eggs but you need a good compliment to that. That compliment would be Beans Coffee Company. Do not miss out on all things Beans Coffee. Subscribe to their email newsletter. Subscribers, you'll receive advance notice on limited time sales, new releases, promo codes, don't forget the promo code Sports Chat, and so much more. Sign up at coffeebybeans.com, coffeebybeans.com. While you're there, sign up for a coffee subscription. Subscriptions can be set up in one to eight week intervals. They can be customized by blend. I'm digging that Perfectus blend that came out right around the Thanksgiving 
and holiday season. Choose between 12-ounce or 5-pound bulk bags in that subscription. Have them delivered right to your door. It's so easy. Don't forget to use the promo code SPORTSCHAT when you order. You'll save a little bit of cash and also be supporting Minnesota Sports Chat. Beans Coffee Company, they ship anywhere in the U.S. with free shipping on all orders over $35. Don't want to get a subscription? That's fine. You can order by the bag. Choose from their fantastic blends. There's a blend for everybody. There really is. Coffeebybeans.com. Take advantage of all the great stuff going on at Beans Coffee Company. And again, use that promo code SPORTSCHAT. Well, Daniel House, when you were on a few weeks back, I, we didn't talk a, a really any go for basketball, but I think we alluded to, at the time, it felt like going winless was certainly possible. They've now had a couple of functional efforts in a row. Feel like they should have beat Nebraska, but in the long run, it's really not going to make a difference. You're not playing for tournament seating. Uh, nice win over the weekend. And again, this is record date of January 16th. They get Illinois uh, later on today. I am fairly encouraged as to what I've seen the last week, but I just, my only major complaint is I'm not sure why it took this long to see it. I know they had some injury issues, but the beginning of the season, honestly, it seemed a lot more effort and disinterest to me than anything. But it's nice to see Ben's boys come around a bit because I'm, I'm not worried, but my worried meter was starting to tick up a little bit, and I really think we need to see a strong finish to this season heading into Ben Johnson's third season. Yeah, encouraging flashes the past, you know, couple of games here. I thought, you know, Wisconsin, they had a chance in that basketball game. You know, you look at Nebraska, like you said, going to overtime close and then figuring out a way to close out a road win over Ohio state. And, you know, Brent Johnson brought up an interesting point. I was on his media availability on Friday and he mentioned uh, Dawson Garcia, how sick he was. Like he lost 20 pounds and was unable to do a lot of basketball activity for a while. And you watch how he's played now that he started to come back and sort of regain form here. That was his most efficient game against Ohio state, 28 points, uh, just thought he did a good job on the defensive end, too. Jameson Battle stepped up on that end of the court. He was battling injury coming into the season. So, I mean, it, it, there's always layers that maybe we don't see that impact the outcome on the court. And I felt like, you know, Talon Cooper's done some good things, uh, you know, distributing. Uh, that crossover at the end of the game was nasty. Big play. Um, and, you know, just thought that, they, they played really well. Hustle plays were good, able to get on a lot of loose balls and make some active plays on defense. Uh, it, the ball movement was a lot better. Ben Johnson said they focused a lot on offense during that uh, you know time off where that game got canceled and you know over the break. They spent a lot of time on just improving their offensive movement, ball movement overall. And I thought we're starting to see some of those those improvements show up on the court. So you know, they just need guards for us. That's the top priority. I mean, Cam Christie's coming in here next year. It's going to change a lot of things, his versatility. And get another transfer portal guard. I think that's that's the next step for this team because they got some great stuff going on down low. Pharrell Payne's going to be an absolute stud. Yeah, I can tell you do a ton of uh, podcast hits and radio shows because you kind of stole the transition right out of my mouth right there. I was going to follow up everything you said 
with the importance of guard play, not only going forward this season, just to have a respectable finish and, you know, maybe a notch, I don't know, five or six more Big Ten wins, but also in the future. You have Christie coming in, as you mentioned, but logic would tell you it can't all be on him in his freshman year. They're going to have to go out and find another guard, correct it? And I'll throw this out there. I'm not saying... We've talked about this before, Daniel, and it feels like I'm complaining a lot on this podcast, so I apologize if it's coming across that way. Generally, if you're going and getting guards off of teams, also ran teams from also ran conferences, I'm not saying that you can't find good players here and there, but that can't be the solution going forward. I I don't know... If it's a stylistic thing or if it's just where the program was currently at. But I'd like to think the University of Minnesota could potentially go find guards off of other Power 5 programs that maybe maybe were just on teams that weren't as good. I'd rather go that route than grabbing players from Elon, New Hampshire, all these schools that you didn't really know existed or had functional college basketball programs. But I mean, it comes back to, you know, you got to get the program in a position where players are like, hey, this team has a chance to make a run. And I feel like they've developed some pieces there where, you know, players are going to be evaluating the situation and see that, you know, Minnesota's on the right trajectory. And that will help you be able to maybe bring in a couple impact players from power conferences as well. So that that's a big part of it, uh, you know, that. I don't think gets discussed enough is you got to have your program in a trajectory where these, these transfers want to come in and play here. So uh, I feel as if that's, that's moving in the right direction. House um, gopher football. Should we be concerned about all the movement with assistance? Uh, I, I, the main ones they've lost more than this, but Kenny Burns leaves to be a head coach. Uh, it was certainly nice. A Kirk Sharaka to show back up. We'll, we'll miss him. I'm sure they're, the way he's been moving around, maybe there'll be a third trip through the reunion tour back in Dinky Town. And there's been some other exits as well. So uh, this is not new to college football. This happens every year. I would say when it comes to the Gopher football program, that is a lot to lose in one offseason, especially when you come off of another nine-win season and you know you're heading into potentially a bit of a transitional year where, again, Daniel, I will tell you before the Gophers even start the season – they're basically 0-3 because I don't think they'll win at North Carolina. I don't think they'll beat Ohio State or Michigan. So then it's really going to be what do you do with the other nine games on the schedule. That's, that's a lot of coaching changes that they've had, and I'll let you talk about them. Yeah, I, I was not, you know, I don't think fans need to be worried about, you know, coaches leaving. I mean, this happens all the time. I, I actually think, you know, some of the moves that they made here bring some unique perspectives in, like tight ends coach. Andrew Soder coming from Kent State worked under Sean Lewis, who was just hired as OC at Colorado under Deion Sanders, a, a scheme that's very creative. I like what they do with their running game. Are they able to, you know, blend in? They got inside zone, some power stuff. Those are the bread and butter. But then they find a way to build off of that with, you know, counter and other creative looks that, you know, just sort of complement tweaks that you know, teams can add in to be creative and, and keep the defense guessing. And you look at their efficiency splits, did an unreal job of building a, a great offense in the Mac there. So Soder's perspective, being around some really good offensive line coaches, Randy Clements at Baylor, was with Brian Callahan, Gophers offensive line coach at Eastern Illinois when Jimmy Garoppolo played there. So they have a cross paths and know each other really well. 
And, you know, most recently, Bill O'Boyle, who is also a very underrated offensive line coach. So I like that background of having that and then his creativity, both in the run and pass game, the stuff that they were able to do. I wrote about one thing that fans should watch for that Soder could potentially help him screen game. Go read that on the site to, to learn why he could help in that area. Uh, and then Winston Deladabadir coming back as defensive line coach, played here. Uh, energetic guy, will help on the recruiting scene. I mean, I covered this guy, talked a lot of football with him. I always joke with him. I said, you're going to be back here coaching someday. And now he's back here coaching. So I guess uh, you could see the writing on the wall. And Joe Rossi, you know, he, he knows Winston really well, feels comfortable with, you know, he's going to be able to coach these guys up. And nobody knows the scheme like Winston. I mean, he played in it so he can teach it uh, in a unique way. And then also Nick Monroe, who I think was, the biggest splash hire of this group. And Nick Monroe is an outstanding recruiter, good developer of talent. He's going to help you in Ohio. He worked at Bowling Green for a while recruiting Florida down in the Miami area. He's done a great job recruiting there out on the East Coast. He was their, their top recruiter at Syracuse. And they had the number one defense overall in pass defense explosiveness metric. Uh, that's something that Minnesota values, being able to limit those big plays. And they already have a relationship. Him and Joe Rossi are very good friends. Cross paths when they were out in Pennsylvania, uh, coaching, you know, right after Rossi finished playing college ball out there. And he's a Minnesota guy. Matamita, Minnesota native, played defensive back at St. Cloud State. Dad was on Jim Wacker's staff as a GA on 94-95. So I, I had Nick Monroe on a potential fits list as someone I would target. Minnesota went, go get your guys. And I, I think that was a phenomenal move. I really liked uh, what he brings to the staff, not just, you know, from a coaching perspective, but recruiting and player development. And then uh, Nick McKissick-Luke coming up from uh, Northern Illinois was at Youngstown State. I have to believe that, you know, Jim Tressel probably provided a little bit of insight to P.J. Fleck. Jim Tressel's a president at Youngstown State. So he's around that football program a lot. P.J. is an alum at Northern Illinois. So he's got some experience there, you know, some connections. Thomas Hammock, running back guy, five years as John Harbaugh's running backs coach in Baltimore, uh, very respected for the way he coaches running backs. So McKissick Luke learning underneath Hammock. Uh, he's worked his way up through the, uh, the profession, and uh, I know they're very excited about his recruiting ability as well. So four guys that I think, you know, provide fresh perspectives, uh, young minds, good recruiters, uh, I, I'm excited about the, the additions that they were able to make and feel like, you know, it, it will it will help the Gophers potentially get some some different ideas into to what they do philosophically. One quick college football note in closing. It was apparent that nobody was going to beat Georgia in the title game. I think their biggest competition maybe ended up being Ohio State in the semifinals. However, with all that said, I don't even know how to comprehend what Michigan was doing and how they were playing the first 15 to 20 minutes of their game against TCU. If Michigan handles the first quarter, quarter and a half better, they win that football game. And I don't think they'd lose 65 to seven to Georgia might not end up really mattering. Cause I think if you're a Michigan fan, you wanted to win the national championship. I don't, whether you lost in the semifinals or the championship, it probably matters the same, but I would have liked if I'm a Michigan fan, to have the chance. Uh, Michigan teams just do some insanely stupid things at times. And I, I just can't ever, I don't know how. And every time I see 
a game that was coached the way Michigan's game was coached, specifically when to go for it, when not to go for it, when to run trick plays, when to not run trick plays. I guess with each passing year, I get more annoyed that people keep sniffing around Jim Harbaugh. And I do I do like Jim Harbaugh. I really do. And I think I would have taken him here at Minnesota. But I don't know. Like the last year or two of watching him in big time moments, and maybe it's because it's college kids and college athletes versus NFL players, but just some really poor decision making. And that that reflects upon him. So I, I guess I'm a... I'm a little perplexed there. I also do think it's hilarious that he comes to Minnesota, doesn't get the job, immediately tells Michigan, well, that was my last flirtation. I'm here for the longest time. And now he's out talking to people less than a year later. So I I, I don't know what to make of Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football at this time. Well, I look at that game and I go, okay, I thought there'd be a lot of, you know, gap scheme, pullers, counters, different things like that. And didn't really see a lot of it. And that was the surprising element. I thought against that type of defensive scheme, you would see a lot of that. But, you know, they didn't. And then three plays against the the blitz, I thought TCU made, that were big, explosive plays that ended up altering the outcome of that game. And for the most part, Michigan's blitz was very effective throughout that game. But, you know, it comes down, like I always say, three, four, five plays in a game that end up making a huge difference. And that was... The, the outcome there. But, you know, like you said, Jim Harbaugh, what's going to happen here? I mean, it's he is he likes to, you know, work and manipulate here. He's like, OK, I'm I'm coming out and I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastically going to coach Michigan this season. And then, you know, you got the rumblings coming up, many interviews with with Denver. And now, you know, everybody's going, well, you know, if he doesn't get a contract extension, maybe he goes. And you wonder how much of this is just a leverage ploy. Yeah, some posturing. You know, but then again, you know, Michigan's in an interesting position here with this NCA investigation going on. Are they really going to give him the money as a result of that with all the PR and that goes into that and the, the look of that? I don't know. Like, I, I could see him being gone, though. I would not be surprised if Jim Harbaugh leaves in this. If he gets offered a job, he will go, I think. And then you turn your attention to what what's Michigan going to do with that head coach opening? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about it because I, I think there's one name that we're all pretty close to that will at least appear on that list. And and I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I'll steal a line from one of my buddies. PJ may be a maniac, but he's our maniac. He's nobody else's. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't have him. House, you mentioned uh, a football game often comes down to three to five plays. They also say podcasts tend to come down to three to four moments, three to four or five questions. I thought we handled them well today, and I think our grade will grade out somewhere in the 90th percentile. So uh, thank you very much. In closing, what do people need to check out at gophersguru.com? You can check out all the info on the latest coaching hires. I went in-depth on all of them. Dropped a few thousand words last week on that. Uh, Sean Tyler, new transfer running back from Western Michigan. Intriguing in one area that I I was blown away at how effective he was in one specific metric that I found. You're definitely going to want to check that out to see how he transitions into the system. Every transfer edition, every coaching edition covered on the website. $5 a month. Get you access to all the content at gophersguru.com.
gophersguru.com and at Daniel House NFL on the Twitter machine. My thanks to Daniel for joining. He is absolutely the best, and especially when it comes to gopher football, gopher basketball talk. I'm Ross Brendel saying thank you so much for listening and for coming along on the ride. 150 Minnesota sports chats now in the books. Thank you so much as Daniel claps and applauds off air. My thanks again to Daniel once again. Please rate and review kindly. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much.